Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of An Evolved Review. I am James Caleb Kitchens, and I am joined today, by, as always, by my co-host, Caleb Stovall. How's it going, Caleb? Hey, what's going on, man? Just another day. That's right. Another day in quarantine land. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. You know, we, we started this <laughs> in the quarantine, and, uh, you know, it's still going on. Uh, well, we're joined today by a very special guest. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, he has 27 years in the wrestling business. Oh my God! Uh, he is uh, he is a YouTube personality. He has uh, uh, shows such as Full Disclosure and uh, uh, and uh, News and Commentary and a ton of other uh, programs on his YouTube channel. You can catch him on YouTube. Just look up Stephen Platinum. Stephen Platinum, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, James Caleb Kitchens? And I think this is the first time I'm meeting Caleb. Um, it's very nice to meet you. I'm very glad to be here, especially with what we're talking about. Oh my God. You picked so. a fun episode. You know, we talked <laughs> about letting our guests kind of pick their episodes typically. And uh, yeah, you, you definitely landed on a good one here. Yes. Yes. I think Herb Abrams, there's a Herb Abrams that lives in every wrestling promoter, whether they want to admit it or not. So that's why I definitely wanted Herb Abrams. Yeah. It, it's so, so, you know, it, cat's out of the bag that we're definitely covering the um, Herb Abrams and the UWF. The dark dark side of the ring very appropriately named the episode Cocaine and Cowboy Boots, mm. uh, which tells you all you need to know about it. So if you haven't seen the episode yet, uh, you know, Google Dark Side of the Ring. You could find it uh, Hulu, uh, Google Play, uh, YouTube, anywhere. Go catch the episode. You'll definitely enjoy it. And then come back and, and watch this episode as we kind of talk about the events of it here. Absolutely. I, you know, one thing I liked, I thought this was the last, um, I enjoyed the Road Warriors episode, but I thought that they, they did a couple of things in there that I thought were a little sketchy where they were trying to frame the narrative too much with the clips that they were showing and selecting. Um, but the Herb Abrams thing, I, you know, they were struggling just to sort of capture how insane the whole thing was. And I thought they did a very good job of that. Um, just it's it's so pro wrestling like this only happens on in this way in the pro wrestling business that's why i thought it was just a great one to have as part of the series yeah nobody yeah. could nobody could start a basketball league in this fashion <laughs> you know or, or something like that you know it's like this is wrestling you know it, this is it's like trying to start a football league <laughs> Uh, well, I guess you could start a football league this way. Uh, uh, womp womp. Twice. You could do it twice. All right. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, so uh, let, let's, let's, let's get into it, guys. So, um, you know, as far as the UWF goes, uh, it started in 1990. So, um, you know, that's definitely kind of all in, in all of our wheelhouse as far as, yeah. you know, wrestling being a major thing on a national scene, too. Um, you know, so, uh, Steve, what did you think about UWF when it first kind of came out and, and that, you know, this was going to be a thing? The, the timing of UWF is very strange in my life because I was 18. I just I was just about to graduate from high school. And I just had my first interaction with pro wrestling. I used to go to Polynesian wrestling. I grew up in Hawaii. And um, we, we were screwing around in the ring after a Polynesian wrestling show, my friend Scott Tong and I. And 
we would we would we didn't call it backyard wrestling we called it you know friends fucking around right um so when we when we finally got to touch a wrestling ring we were excited so he threw me to the corner so i flare flipped in the corner landed on my feet ran across and then my friend scott tong hit me i took a bump like an idiot on the apron and then bounced off and the guy who was in charge who's lars anderson who wasn't really an anderson but said he was an anderson um he came over and offered to train me and my friend. He's just like, if, like, if you guys are going to do this stuff, like, let's train you. And I was excited, but my parents shot it down immediately. But I remember the UWF becoming a thing. And we bought all the wrestling magazines. And we even, um, I think we even subscribed to the Observer then. Um, oh, so I was, I was pretty familiar, familiar with the UWF. And we got everything in Hawaii, all Japan, New Japan, all that Saturday block of show. We got everything in Hawaii. Um, so we definitely watched with a great deal of interest. Um, I just Cactus Jack being a part of it. He was one of those guys that me and my friends would always see in the wrestling magazines and that we adored. Um, and then later, you know, when I got into it in 93, then you got to start hearing the stories. And all of the madness and all the behind the scenes stuff that we really wanted to know. So it really came in at that time in my life when pro wrestling was everything. I was completely into it. And then the more salacious and insane the stories, the more I wanted to hear them. That's like, that's what I was into once I got into it in 93 and started doing it. I wanted to hear about every crazy wrestling story I could. And I heard a disproportionate amount about Herb Abrams and the wrestlers that were sort of attached to it because it was a, a part of the country that I wasn't really familiar with. You know, like he used like some Carolina guys and that was like far out of my wheelhouse. So just fascinated with all of it. And I thought the documentary did a really good job. I mean, because an hour is not a lot of time to encapsulate all of that, but I thought they did a good job of really letting you feel the mood of what it was like and you know when they're doing a show in a 3,000 seat place and they've got 200 people there that sort of pit in your stomach promoter feeling actually hit me more than once where I just went like as if I was losing the money I was just like oh god I, I know what that feels like to have a disappointing house and you know he took the promoter he's like I said uh, he lives in every promoter I've ever met like every promoter I've ever met has bullshitted a number. Every promoter I've ever met um, acts like whistles past the graveyard. You know, like, oh, guys, it's great. Every promoter I've ever met wanted to throw themselves in the show as much as possible and were convinced that they were the ace up the sleeve to saving the promotion. <laughs> so uh, I don't think we're as far away from Herb Abrams as we like to pretend. And that era of wrestling um, was about partying and carrying on and all of that. So I just loved it. I definitely think there's a, you know, I, I know personally, like any time I've ever been to a show, it didn't matter how many pre-sales there were. It didn't many, matter how well it was promoted. There's always that fear in the back of your mind when the doors open. What if no one shows? I mean, you know, what if there's 20 people yeah. out there? You know, it's like you've got that kind of mentality already, uh, you know, every every show. It doesn't matter how big or small. It, it's That's always there for me. It doesn't matter. I mean, 
we we had you know we had a show with like 180 pre-sales or something one time and it was just like i was still worried like you know until mm-hmm. the, you see them out there that is in the back of your mind um so uh caleb was this your was this episode because you're the youngest person on the show at the moment was this episode your introduction to the uwf uh yes it was because um the year or you know 1990 when it launched the year before that i had just been born Uh, (laughs) so (laughs) i did not know what wrestling was nor did i know what tv was at the time so um, yeah, I had to find out about this years later, uh, basically. And you know me, you like to joke uh, that I watch more wrestling than anyone. And I'm not uh, joking you, when I say that, buddy. <laughs> I, well, I know that. Uh, but yeah, w- w- when I heard about this, I was just like, wow, I don't even know about this UWF uh, thing. Um, so I guess that just goes to show you, like, I guess how crazy and how kind of unsuccessful it was, you know, like it just, um, yeah, the, the, the stuff that I found out though, uh, in this, um, in this episode, I'll just go ahead and say it. Uh, I thought this was one of the best episodes of dark yeah. side of the ring, uh, on this one. Uh, it just, it, there's so much just good stuff, uh, in this episode. It, it really is. Um, and it's such a crazy story, but I love how like, this guy, Herb Abrams, like, like kind of when they talk about him, I'm like, at times, I'm like, this guy sounds like, um, have you ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can, Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio's character? That's what this guy sounds like. Yeah. Like, yeah. he sounds like a legit, at times, like, almost like a con artist. Oh, th- he's definitely a con artist. I mean, yeah. I, I, I love the part where they're trying to... they're. It's clear that they're asking the guys they're interviewing, what did Herb Abrams do? How did he make his money? And nobody really, I, other than um, Lenny, Lenny Doog, I think is the way you pronounce his last name. Is yeah. Doog. yeah. Um, other than Lenny Doog, who was kind of like his right-hand man, and you could tell this guy was like, a, if, if, if Herb Abrams had had a cult, this would have been like the guy right under him that like keeps all the other cultists yes. believing everything, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, he's like the he's like the prophet of Herb Abrams. He was 100 percent bought in on Herb's bullshit. I mean, he, because yeah. what would he have been? I mean, to uh, to be devil's advocate, what would he have been without Herb Abrams? I mean, he right. he quickly understood like, oh, these are good looking hookers. Like that that is one of the funniest things ever when he describes them as what like Hollywood honeys instead of these whatever. And he hitched his wagon and he does what all wrestling people do, which is I'm going to get myself involved in an angle with him. And then that way I get to keep my job. And, but like you said, he was definitely of the cult of Herb, you know? Yeah. He knew. Yeah. Him. Uh, so him and uh, Marty Yesberg both. I mean, uh, there's that one clip where Marty Yesberg is like, um, this is the darkest like UWF is like the darkest story there is. It can't get any darker than that. And I'm like, darker than Herb Abram. <laughs> right. I was like, really? <laughs> Have you seen the other episodes of Dark Side of the Ring? I well, mean, I mean, and Herb. Uh, did, okay, this is going to be a completely contrary opinion to most people. Herb Abrams was fucking happy. It's right. kind of like when people go like <laughs> Rick, Rick Flair. He blew his money. He wasn't a good father. All that's true, but. <laughs> Ric Flair lived a life that people 
would murder their children to live, right? <laughs> At the end of the day, he's just outlived his usefulness. That's all that happened. He would, and if you ask Ric Flair, he would never sit, expect that he would be alive right now, right? right? He just burned that candle. And Herb Abrams too, um, you know, people want to deride it. He's paying, he's writing $2,000 checks to hookers, okay? This is, um, this is a phenomenon in not just wrestling, but the entertainment world. And I'm going to get in trouble for saying it, but I'm going to say it. And everybody, everybody who's my age or older who's been doing any kind of thing in pro wrestling, entertainment, or even sports has encountered these guys. They're Jewish guys who have a lot of money who want to get in with the cool kids. So they do it by paying for everything and being the life of the party. It is not an uncommon phenomenon at all. It's very common. And uh, I've definitely known a Herb Abrams or two in my day who would come to the wrestling shows, buy out the table for you, and they just wanted to hang out. And it was their way of, and they were sort of sub, they were always hyper-conscious of being Jewish. Um, and so you weren't, you weren't supposed to bring that up. Right. You couldn't even really joke about it most of the time, though they would be very self-deprecating. Uh, and then they would just pay and then they would pay for everything. And that's how the relationship worked. Like the boys used Herb Abrams. Now, they didn't emphasize that, but it's absolutely the truth. Old veteran wrestlers, whenever a new promotion starts, they flock to you and their goal is to milk you for money until you inevitably fail and then they get to say i told you so terry funk did the same thing with ecw it's just that ecw happened to make it but at first terry funk's attitude was oh there's this dumb money mark todd gordon and and paul Heyman, and i'm just gonna ride this train they're gonna pay me this money and then it's gonna die and then i'm gonna move on that's what that's how the wrestlers treated this too as much as they want to pretend that they didn't they definitely knew they were in for a disaster, so they were going to get paid until they didn't. So, my opinion. I mean, there's so. people doing that right now. I yeah. mean, maybe not at this exact moment, but people did it with AEW. People were like, these guys don't know what they're doing. It's the boys running, you know, the asylum. We're, we're going to use this to get more money out of WWE or tease that we're going to go there so we can get a new contract from Vince. Or whatever, and Vince had tons of people sitting on the payroll, so they wouldn't go. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, if if when Chris Jericho insists on not signing a contract through AEW, but directly with the Khan family, so that way they can't declare bankruptcy and get out of it. To me, that spells I'm going to make sure I get paid throughout the shit, but I don't have enough faith in it to think that it's going to be around in three years. Yeah, I well, mean, Jericho has seen his fair share of this kind of thing. So, sure. you know, over the years. Um, so, you know, 1990, this thing kicks off. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've got we've got this we've got a fan convention here that was run by uh, Rick, uh, not Rick Allen, uh, John uh, Rezzi, John Rezzi. Yeah. And, you know, these fan conventions are very popular now, but this was apparently sort of the first one, you know, where this, that they got kind of big. So it's just like you said, man, Herb Abrams comes in here and he's got all this money. He's like, oh, I want to be a wrestling promoter. And he's talking up all the boys and he's selling them on the stick. And of course he thinks that it's getting a good reception, but it's like you said, these wrestlers are like, oh, you got a bunch of money? You're going to start a wrestling promotion? And you're going to pay me how much? 
okay, all right, buddy. Just, you know, as long as the check clears, which they did at the time, apparently, you know. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, he's thinking, oh, man, these guys are really interested in my ideas. But, I mean, they didn't really cover this in the show, but we know that, you know, they were probably thinking, at least most of them, like, all right, well, this guy's going to, this guy's going to, you know, spend a bunch of money on this and he's going to pour a million dollars into wrestling and then lose it all. And that's going to be it. Yeah. Um, yeah. He brought some big names in, though. Uh, yes. Tell me what you guys think about this, uh, this lineup he had. Paul Orndorff, Bob Orton, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Cactus Jack. I mean, Paul Orndorff's main event WrestleMania one could I mean, you couldn't have gotten any bigger in 1990 than some of these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does go against the old adage, though, right? Because I'm sure the boys are filling his head up with if you get the talent, wrestling's talent based, you get these names, people are going to just flock to it. Um, like UWF, and I'm, tr- you know, I'm trying to recall more of those shows, but to me, it's like it ultimately it suffered it didn't suffer because they didn't have talent it suffered because they didn't have a vision right there was nothing there why am i watching the uwf what's the what's it come down to a bunch of very good wrestlers that didn't have true star potential i mean like paul orndorf phenomenal hands legit tough guy all of that stuff but are people going to buy a pay-per-view because Paul Orndorff is on it when it's not in the WWF? And I guess we found out the answer is not really. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and I find it really fascinating that the problem with Herb Abrams is the problem that most wrestling promotions have is his vision consists of, I'll get all of these guys together and then I will be a major part of the angle. And then that's what we're going to base the show on. And it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work. Um, it's about angles. It's about whatever. It's not about whether you're wearing yellow ostrich skin cowboy boots with your logo on it. Um, though, of course, that's awesome. Uh, and it's like right now they're showing the the blackjack brawl. So this is in 94. So they had time to figure this stuff out. That's what's crazy. If it was a, if it was one of these flashes in the pan that blew a bunch of money in nine months to a year and it was gone, that would be one thing. But they were they were around long enough that they could have developed an angle. Like, what's the UWF angle that survives to this day? We can't think of a single one. Whereas ECW, whose run is not nearly as long as people thought that was. Um, you know, you're talking legitimately when they were taken seriously, 95 to 99 to 2000. That's only five or six years. But if yeah. I said, name some ECW angles, even people who hate ECW would be able to go on on and on and on about the different angles that they had, personalities that they had that really stood out, um, things that are imitated and stolen that's for me it's really strange that the uwf was around long enough but yet there's not one innovation or one thing that you can say this other wrestling league stole from them because it was so good and i don't know if i've ever heard of that in any promotion that had pay-per-views like everybody steals anything that's any good but uwf they literally took nothing from it um which is really weird (laughs) 
<laughs> actually, you know. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, uh, B. Brian Blair talks about it. Uh, that's a that's a tongue twister. Talks about yeah. it in uh, yeah. in the episode a little bit. Is like he they didn't have the skill of seeing like the strengths and weaknesses of certain guys and then putting them together and building an angle. It was all spectacle. It was just all, you know, hey, we're gonna put you know these two guys are famous. Let's put them in a match together. And they didn't really understand the concept of you know, what they would actually have to do in order to draw people in. Yeah. And the boys clearly didn't, they didn't respect Herb Abrams. And I'm not saying they should have, but I mean, they didn't. And so who are you going to listen to? I mean, if Blackjack Mulligan's telling you something, yeah, you'll tend to listen to it a little more. But I thought it was interesting that they, they brought up Blackjack Mulligan very infrequently, which tells me that he either didn't do a lot or he just you know he just did it dry erase board style you're wrestling you you're wrestling you you're wrestling you you know well and and i think it's also you know the fact of herb abrams you know was so coked up you know (laughs) that you know he uh he they said it he would change things literally on the fly like he would be like yeah. no you know what i'm reversing the decision giving him the title and oh my god stuff. <laughs> like, like think oh about oh my it. god like you know blackjack goes and writes your name you know hey cactus you're facing jimmy snooker just you know for example because that was one of the matches that they said mm-hmm. um you know and that that's funny because if you think about that, is that not a dream match for wrestling fans? Yeah. People didn't even know that it happened. I never, right. even, I did not know that Mick Foley got to wrestle his idol. I did not know that. Right. Yeah. So I can tell you right there, you know, some of the problems, but like, just say like, you know, they, they write that on and it's for the title. They say, uh, Jack, you're going to win it. And then Herb Abrams just comes out and is just like, no, I'm going to give it to this man because, I, you know, we just got to throw something out there. Like, if you go and you watch the Fury Hour, they've got some of the episodes up on YouTube, um, like like mm-hmm. just like the UWF, and you can find some. So I, I looked at them. It's just like, like, take Russo's writing and then put it even, like, like put it on cocaine. Right, <laughs> that's what it looks like. Vince Russo on cocaine might be the best to Herb Abrams' description. How many, uh, how many times would you have to hear the word "bro" if Vince Russo was on cocaine? Uh, <laughs> it would just be like it would be like a machine gun of bros <laughs> coming at you all the time. Run one would just run into the other. He wouldn't even be able to finish the first one without going to the second. One. You guys mentioned Black Jack Mulligan. I think it's I think it's very important to mention here that that uh you know Mick Foley says at the time he announced Black Jack as the Booker he was incarcerated. Yeah. At the time, he I, even said that he was going to sign Bruiser Brody, but Bruiser Brody had been murdered a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, shameless plug. You can catch out our <laughs> catch our episode on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was very good. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, that that to me, that's that. If you're the wrestling fan, if you're like a hardcore wrestling fan, that should have been the the red light to you. Like, hey, there are problems here. They're advertising a guy who has been dead for almost a year as a <laughs> a big star on their show. But you know, again, like. Every promoter's got a Herb Abram in them. 
how many times have has somebody even in recent memory in Georgia promoted a match where they knew one of the participants wasn't going to be there and wasn't going to happen right they didn't didn't I, I know I'll get in trouble, but it's me. So like I, IWE did that, right? Like they promoted a match where they knew um, the one guy wasn't going to be there. And then they ended up subbing for him, but they, but they put him on posters knowing he wasn't going to be there already. And so like the promoters by hook or by crook traditionally in wrestling do this kind of thing because again, you just talk out of your ass and you just talk things up because for every person that will get offended by your lying to them, there's two people that tend to just get excited about the energy of it all. Right. right. Um, it, it's a Trump thing. Right. So it's like, it doesn't matter if what I'm saying isn't true. It just matters the idea that I'm trying to convey. So if I just say enough, we're, we're we've got more testing going on than anywhere in the world it doesn't matter if that's an objective statement that can be proven or not proven it just matters the idea of oh well he seems to be on top of it so yeah sure i said bruiser brody would be there and bruiser brody's already dead but i guarantee you herb abram was probably never confronted with that information and if he had been he would have ignored it denied it denied that he ever said it or just went yeah you know how i am man anyway but we do have so and so and so and so and so and so because his whole goal is um i just want people hyped for this thing so i'm just going to throw out the biggest stuff i can whether it's true or not um, yeah I mean, look at the press conference that he announces you know <laughs> UF4, it's basically, you know, it's a big spectacle. Like Dan Spivey attacks someone, they, you know, wreck the place and stuff like that. You know, he's he's trying to work an angle. Yeah. And you know, maybe, maybe they did, if not innovate that notion, they probably popularized it. I don't, you know, I'm trying to think of anything before that that did a similar thing. Contract signings, for example, in the 80s were very stoic affairs, right? It's Hogan Andre, where they have a segment, they come together, they say a little thing, that's it. Um, this notion of during your press conference, all everything goes to hell, which is now a wrestling staple, maybe yeah. they did start that. Because, um, you know, 90, 91, 92, that was a long time ago. You know, even like you think about TNA, when they had like Jeff Jarrett belt Hogan with a guitar, to try to launch that thing that ended up going nowhere. But I thought like, huh, but that was, you know, well after Herb Abrams did a similar kind of thing. So that's interesting. Maybe they did popularize that. So that maybe that's their one claim to fame. Maybe, uh, you know, and, and you know, you mentioned and the that. promoter having the greatest death in the history of wrestling. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's right? true. <laughs> that's true. We definitely will get into that a little bit in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned the whole like, uh, you know, every promoter has some some hard papers in them. Uh, yeah, that it's it. It's such a prevalent thing for people to announce talent they don't have or they know they're not going to have. That, mm -hmm. you know, when we brought Christopher Daniels in, we got at least three messages from everyday fans that said, is he really going to be there? You know, it's like, no, we had just advertised him. Nobody was going to be there. And it was like, wait a minute, people do that all the time. I mean, it's like, it's that common still in 2020 for people to hype up this big thing. Oh, we got this guy. We got this guy. We got this guy. And, 
you know, unless they're unless they're gonna call you out on it and you just haven't talked to them at all and they're gonna expose you on social media, which I can't nobody think of. Gave, nobody gave a shit about PCW until we actually pulled off the first sacred ground. And uh, everything I had heard when we started putting out posters and flyers of the first sacred ground was this is not possible, right? It is not possible that they're bringing these people in, right? Because right. it was Samoa Joe, Colt Cabana, like Cassandro, Awesome Kong. Think about that, right? This is more than 10 years ago. So we got Samoa Joe at like his height in TNA. We got Awesome Kong right when she stopped her TNA run. And people were like, there's no way that this is happening, right? Like there's, it's just not possible. And I was sort of treated like, that money mark guy right so a lot of people contacted me wanting to be on the show and i knew why because they were going like well whatever money this guy's using we got it we need to get in there and get some of it before he goes out of business right, right? and then but then <clears throat> the first sacred ground happened and that after the first one is when i started getting access to better local talent because i think the feeling was okay he's not full of shit um at least he brought in these guys that he said he was going to there were at least more than 10 people at that show okay i, I guess i'll come do his other shows and see what they're about because again <clears throat> herb abrams he's the outsider coming in and he like an idiot like immediately his target is vince mcmahon in the wwf yeah which seems just preposterous but again things just seemed much more attainable back then um now you know it takes aew kind of bankroll to be considered to be taken seriously but there was a time where even in even in 1990 where the wwf is not nearly the juggernaut that people remember it to be they didn't draw in some parts of the country even then um that's what people forget they just go like Hogan came on board. They took over wrestling. Um, in certain parts of the country, that was very far from the truth. That Certain parts of the country did not buy the WWF thing at all. UWF's problem was, who was their audience? Like, what region of the country or specific kind of wrestling fan were they going for? I don't think they ever had any clue, which makes them super fascinating to me. So... Yeah, I mean, they they even talked about uh, that a little bit in the um, and this is one we haven't covered yet in the Dino Bravo episode. Yeah. Of you know, in his area in Canada, like he was bigger than Hogan, you know, in that area, and they weren't sure they didn't want to do the match because they weren't sure sure Hogan would be able to get a babyface reaction against him. And it, mm -hmm. you know, it's like it, it's it's hard to imagine now with WWE having decades of being you know, the face of wrestling to the world to imagine a, a time when they were just kind of this Northeastern territory and that was it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, like, that's a good example, right? Um, like the WWF, like when you look at who Hogan's did not have a run against, that's the most interesting question because everybody wanted to have a run with Hogan, right? That's like, that's like 10 paydays you're going to get. But like Jake Roberts, and this is between, this is a part of the reason they turned Jake face, right? Between two and three is this is WrestleMania two. This is like the height of Hulkamania stuff. And he wrestles Jake at a house show. 
and and a section of the crowd is chanting DDT, and they freaked out because even back then, the problem with the WWE is a, a lot of their crowd weren't wrestling fans; they were sort of irony hipsters, whatever you would have called hipsters back then, and. They were much more fascinated with the Jake Roberts than a Hulk Hogan. And back then, they're still running under an old wrestling model where that's unacceptable. So we'll turn Jake Roberts' face. We'll make him the gatekeeper guy. You get in a feud with Jake Roberts, beat him, and then that gets you to Hogan. Um, but Jake Roberts, I mean, I'm sure Jake Roberts was salivating. Oh, I'm going to have this great run with Hogan, right? I dropped him with a DDT on television. We're set. But then they had their first match and a big section of the crowd's chanting DDT. Now he's fucked. He got one match with Hogan, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. That awesome. I don't care what anyone says. That would have been amazing had those two wrestled. Yeah. Uh, Greg Valentine was another one that Hogan, um, he considered Greg Valentine too stiff. So Valentine beat him by count out to start their run because they were going to like go around the loop and then come back to Madison Square Garden. But um, Hogan didn't like wrestling Valentine because you had a, you you couldn't hit Hogan hard and Valentine didn't know any other way to do it. And so Hogan was like <laughs> ixnay on that. And so he, Valentine never got another match with him. And, so. and that's money. And he knew he had that kind of control, you know. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Beach Brawl. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the pay-per-view that drew less than some Georgia indie shows. Uh <laughs> They had a so they they hyped this thing up. They did it in Palmetto, Florida, which I mean, it seems like to me you'd have to have drawn in most of the population of the yeah the the area in order to have this show. Um, the headline match was Doctor Death, Steve Williams versus Bam Bam Bigelow, which it's well, like we've talked about. That is a match I would like to see at, uh, in ninety yeah. one. Not not now, of course, but uh, uh, you know, ninety one, uh, that would have been a great match. But of course, there's no build up, no program, no hype for it, and they did a buy rate of zero point one. Mm. Uh, TNA used to when they were only on pay per views, and they did a weekly kind of like pay per view yeah. or whatever. They drew more than that on yeah. on pay per view on a weekly basis. Point Even when one started, yeah. yes, less than 500 in attendance in the arena in this enormous stadium. Uh, yeah, I mean, so what did you guys? What did you guys think about this? Uh, well, I sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, go. Um, yeah, when I saw this, I was like. They made it seem like, you know, when when they got to the arena, they saw how big it was and they were like, I know that there's no way that we can fill this up. And I'm thinking, wouldn't you know that beforehand? Like, I, I would think that you wouldn't just show up to the to the venue on the day and just be like, oh, crap, we can't fill this up <laughs> like. But that but that just goes to show you how no one knew what was going on in UWF. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like you look at that match, the Dr. Death and Bam Bam Bigelow. Keep in mind, this is like in the early 90s. Regions still mattered. Florida doesn't didn't care about Bam Bam Bigelow. Florida doesn't care about Dr. Death Williams like that. You know, they're 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 products of different parts of the country. Like Bam Bam Bigelow trained at the Monster Factory in Jersey. And like like, again, it's 
wanting to compete, like wanting to go national before you were ready is what killed every promotion in the eighties and nineties. <laughs> like every one of them. If, yeah. if mid South had stayed in Oklahoma and Louisiana and Texas, they would have been able to blow the WWF out of there with dynamite and, and make it pretty well. Now, when the oil prices fell, there's nothing they could do about that, but they certainly wouldn't have been um, strung out like they were where they're having, you know, million dollar properties in Dallas and all this kind of nonsense. Like, and again, what could Crockett have done if they had not moved Starcade to Chicago and this effort to expand when they're, audience base is at a certain region of the country it is what it is with dusty Rhodes been able to go to portland and draw draw a huge house probably not but within florida he's as big a draw as anybody's ever seen so again it's just another case of the uwf having these big visions and we see that in georgia promotions and small promotions all the time we're going to run such and such building right? They get all hyped up for it. That, that stranglehold in a nutshell. I went to the venue and I took pictures of my, like, you're drawing fucking 40 people to a <laughs> 1000 seat thing, but deluding yourself. I mean, it's so easy to do because promoters that don't think about wrestling, just think about, they just see, they see people in the seats when they look out, you know, before they do anything, they just go like, wow. If I charge $10, multiply it by a sold out house, my God, there's my budget. There it is, 15 grand or whatever. That's my budget to work with. And then they work backwards and then they just spend show day with their guts twisted up. I mean, and Herb Abrams had the benefit of dealing with, well, I'll just coke up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and he did have a lot of money at one point, right? He had a secondary bank account that had a crap ton of money. So I don't, you know, like he is a con man, don't get me wrong, but I don't think what he was trying to do was con his way into successful wrestling promotion. That's he would have loved that to happen. But I, again, I just think he's analogous to these other guys that I know that, we're just happy to be a player in the game and happy to call himself a promoter. Um, and they, they didn't really think about the business part of it, that yeah. that was definitely secondary or third on the priority list. It was, I want to be part of this. I'm, he's a wrestling fan first. I think they did a great job of conveying that Herb Abrams loved pro wrestling yeah. and this was his way to buy his way into the business. And we've certainly seen numerous examples of that in in georgia promotions and and in a way there's nothing wrong with that i know that sounds weird for me of all people to say but i don't begrudge people who aren't pro wrestling people who get into the pro wrestling business i don't begrudge it in fact i encourage it i think it's better because pro wrestling people who are pro wrestling people from birth and they're huge fans of it and that's all they've ever wanted to do they make terrible people to run shit in pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah. I so, mean, Herb, yeah. You look at Jim Cornette as a good example of that kind of thing. Like, you know, he's like the ultimate wrestling historian. And yeah. you would always, like, if you look at, like, a lot of the roles he's played, any re anybody, any wrestling person who's running a show would love to have Jim Cornette on hand to take advice from. But you wouldn't want him running everything because 
if you're a wrestling person to that extent, you can't think outside of that box. And that's right. what people are looking for. And, you know, absolutely. there's yeah, some yeah. things that Herb Abrams did. We talked about the, um, the press conference going to shit. That's an outside the box thing where, you know, a professional wrestling person thinks, Hey, this needs to be this formal kind of event. Cause we want this to look like a legitimate whatever. And then this guy's like, no, this should be entertaining. Let's let them beat the shit out of each other and destroy the set, you know? And, and he's a good performer. I think that's something that got glossed over, but when they showed him cutting those emotional promos, by the way, when he got color, Daryl Morris, he got fucking color, right? <laughs> Herb Abrams gushing blood and he's cutting this promo that feels very heartfelt and real and all of that shit. Like, it's interesting that the promoters starting in the nineties all were really good performers. I think Vince McMahon has proven himself arguably to be one of the three best pro wrestling performers there's ever been like really great at it. Eric Bischoff, the character is the most punchable guy in the history of wrestling. Phenomenal performer. Vince Russo, not so much, but like, <laughs> but but the I mean Herb Abrams was a good little performer, which was probably the worst thing that could have happened to them, honestly, because then he justified. I'm sure he used that to justify. Oh, I'm good, aren't I? And you know what the boys told him? Yeah, man, you're fucking great. You're just fucking. You're the best because they're just trying to get a check. But there's probably an element of that of truth too, of like. Wow, that's, you know, say what you want about this this little Jew, because that's what the wrestlers would have called him, right? Oh, the Jewish guy with the money. But when he got color, he got color, right? Instant respect. Yeah. When he cut the promo, it was a good promo. Instant respect. And so he did, he lived his dream. He bought his way in and then got enough acceptance. And he died covered in Vaseline, wearing cowboy boots and nothing else with hookers around. So... <laughs> I mean, live the gimmick. He went out. I mean, you know, <laughs> and you got, so you got this guy. I mean, yeah, we're talking about, you know, when he gets to the part where he's, you know, to the point where he's writing the checks he knows is going to bounce. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We can all decry that, but we know promoters that have done it at every level of the game. Uh, he was just, you know, pretty much the most famous one. Yeah, but I mean, I think last year didn't that happen at like a show that had a bunch of legends on it last year? I can't remember the yes. event, but yeah, all these checks bounced and people were looking for this guy. The, there was one out. in like Dudley, Georgia, or something like that where that happened, and like Paul Orndorff who was there, like, and somebody else had to like rough up the promoter. And I mean, it used to happen more frequently. I think now with the internet and loudmouths like me and you who are like calling every stupid thing out. Um, I, I think it's less prone to happen, but it's always going to happen because you're always going to have guys whose eyes are bigger than their stomach, right? Who are going to have ambition. They're not going to want to start at a grinded out level at the bottom. I mean, that's, that's Herb Abrams, right? I'm not, I could, I'm not going to run small little outlaw shows. Fuck that. I'm going to be the new Vince McMahon, right? I'm going to blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go bigger. Um, Maybe that's something else that Herb Abrams actually innovated, which is the idea of the guy that's running the whole show being a major part of an angle that had been done before to an extent, but it was always this like old wrestler who was now running the promotion that would reluctantly come out of retirement, like Bill Watts or something. 
but he might have been the first guy who was like, I'm the wacky wrestling promoter that has no right to do any of this shit, but this guy blooded me up and so it's on. And like, I mean, that's now the norm in wrestling, right? I mean, I'm still waiting for David Manders to get heavily involved in an angle. I know it's coming, right? Like, right. At, at some, some point. Mm -hmm, at some it's point, be. it's got to because or Gary Lamb. Like I I I'm sure they have to drag Gary Lamb kicking and screaming out of doing more. Well, but yeah, he's already... been involved in a few where they Yeah, uh... he's he's been attacked a time or two, right? Yeah. So... And then nothing comes of it except him burying the heels verbally. And so yeah, like Herb Abrams um super fascinating. And again, this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I'm going to say it for all the bounce checks that the boys got at the end, they, they basically abused and raped that promotion with the paychecks that they got beforehand that more than made up for the ones that bounced. I'm sure. I'm sure they were all incredibly overpaid. I'm sure that they all had first class treatment in the first few years um, to the point where it was probably their favorite promotion to go work and wrestle for because of the five-star treatment. I mean, all of them got rooms at the MGM Grand when they did the show there. And they were all treated like kings. And if they had been smart, as they all claim to have been, they would have just basically known at some point this gravy train is going to end because we're not stupid. We're wrestling in front of 200 people, right? <laughs> at some point, this is going to end. But again, wrestlers don't think that way. They're just like, oh, oh, just keep it going. One more time, Herb, one more time. So, you know, when they're holding a, a bounce check in their hands, when they're at in Palmetto with nobody in the crowd in this huge arena, I mean, not that I'm saying it's their fault, but they're part and parcel of this story as well. You know, the, the boys definitely got paid. I would be curious to hear how much, but I'm sure it was, at least double what they would make anywhere else. So, yeah, I mean, it, you you kind of get that impression that, you know, it, at least at first, it's like okay, we were buying into the guy's natural charisma and of course his checkbook. Yeah. But when you've never seen more than three hundred people there, and you're making, you know, you can do the math. This is what they're charging for a seat. This is what my rate is. If they're paying me this, they're probably paying the next guy something similar. You know, if the talent budget alone is more than you're drawing, you know oh, that you're in the red. Constantly. Hit my stomach hearing that. <laughs> oh, <need> God. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Um, let, so I do want to talk about the Colonel again. We brought him up earlier. You know, Mar <laughs> Marty Yesberg. And, you know, he, he, he had the kind of feud with Herb. This guy was super entertaining to me. Yeah. I, I could He's watch the right this. guy to have on. Yeah, I could. It's like when the news, like, there's like a tornado and the news finds like the like most like ignorant, like redneck person to interview, you know, in the area that that was like this guy. You know, he's talking about the, the porn scene or whatever in the in the hotel room. And he's like, I just sat over in the corner and watched. I didn't really know what to First do. First of all, he he fucked one of those hookers. Can we yeah. like can we can we just. Oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> so these are the hottest women I've ever seen. Herb is offering for me to have sex with them, but, oh, but as soon as I saw the cocaine, I just said, I'm just going to sit in the corner and watch. 
he fucked those hookers. I, don't, I, I understand he has to say that he did it, but let's be clear. He fucked those hookers. Well, there's so, no one to to dispute it, right? The only people in the room right. were him, Herb, and the hookers. Herb's dead, and these hookers aren't going to come out and, and say, oh, no. yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know. They're still going. We got paid two grand each. Can you imagine that? Those hookers got two grand apiece. Oh, yeah. Herb. Yeah, I mean, he, he's over there. He admits he's drooling on himself. You know, these are the hottest <laughs> women I've ever seen. You know, and I'm just like, they was all that in a bag of chips. Yeah, <laughs> these, these weren't no Carolina whatevers. These were like some Hollywood honeys. Oh my god! Ha- having spent a significant portion of my life living just across the river from South Carolina, I completely yeah. understood that reference. <laughs> Um, yeah man so but but anyway but yeah but he's there and i I love that he was he was the jiminy cricket taking us through this journey uh i thought that was a great i noticed a lot of wrestling people i'm talking about like ron niemi and other promoter types that i saw like rudy gonzalez and that kind of thing we're all kind of shitting on the documentary they're like oh I already knew all that stuff and they could have got people who could have told those same stories, but better. And I thought to myself, and I always ask myself, why, why are, why are these particular guys when I loved it? Obviously, Caleb, you loved it. Like mm-hmm. I thought it was one of the better ones that they put out. And I'm like, why are these promoters looking for a reason to hate this thing? And I realized it's because they recognize themselves within Herb Abrams. And it's a very painful mirror to look at. Like I said, my stomach has knotted up even even now us talking about certain aspects of it because I'm like, I remember when I did some variation of that, right? I remember when I, you know, I've been there in a show where I'm looking at the door and I'm like, I'm not making my money back. Why did I ever book this much? Why did I ever think this would work? Um, and I think a lot of promoters have a hard time acknowledging the fact that a lot of pro wrestling is based on fantasy bullshit. And a a lot of it is deluding yourself (laughs) on how good you are and how good your promotion is and how good, what your legacy is. I mean, they're terrified that their legacy is going to be like Herb Abrams, which is at the end of the day, Herb Abrams is, it's kind of a joke. It's a very dark joke. But at the end of the day, people don't take Herb Abrams seriously. It's just seen as a cautionary tale that couldn't possibly happen nowadays, right? <laughs> um, no way could it happen. Um, but yet, it very well could. And I think that's a little too painful for those guys to face. We talked about off mic that he's like the ultimate you know, tax return promoter. We, <laughs> we see that every year. As a matter of fact, if COVID-19 wasn't going on right now, there would be these little shows popping up for the last month, you know, people getting the tax return in, Oh, I'm going to, this will be it this time. And then, you know, throwing this big thing together. And then, you know, of course it draws 200 and they, they booked, you know, 10 grand worth of talent and, you know, it's just gone. Yeah. I mean, or even, you know, you look at stranglehold who people just keep sending me these clips. I guess they did sort of an impromptu wrestling show a couple of weeks ago. And so these clips are slowly leaking out of the guys in street clothes. It it just looks like shit. But I go like, how much money are they losing? Because they're paying a lease on that building. And they haven't been able to do anything with it. 
And is that ambition not completely outsized for what they're able to do? They haven't had a show over 50 people yet, but they bring in Sabu, but they bring in like that kind of mentality of, I just need to bring in the right expensive name and we're going to draw. Like that has not changed since 1990. This notion that it's just a matter of getting the right person that's going to draw. Um, I mean... Uh, so how are they different than Herb Abrams? I mean, just Herb Abrams just did it on a a much grander scale, which is why the story is so amazing. And certainly the personal foibles of promoters in Georgia are well known, right? So it's and and their vices aren't nearly as great, but they still exist, right? If I have to hear one more time about Billy Knight spending the entire gate at the strip club after the show, it is what it is, right? But I mean. You know, what are the vices of promoters? Of course, they're crazy people. Promoters are all crazy people. Even the ones that seem normal, like Joshua Hancock seems completely normal to me. But I'm sure there's a part of him that's a a wackadoo. Because you got to be a wackadoo to promote pro wrestling. (laughs) To be in wrestling at all. Yeah. And I can't comment on that, of course. (laughs) Can't comment on that at all. I mean, uh, Caleb, Caleb, I have a question for you, because like, obviously you were born right before UWF started. Right. But do you when you look back now that you've had like contact with the documentary and you've looked at some UWF stuff like you look at that, does that do you understand why it happened or do you look at it from a younger person's perspective of like, that's completely insane. Why would not somebody not have tackled him and stopped all of this? Or do you just go like, I can totally see why it all went down the way it did. A little bit of both because Mm. like I, I, you know, I would have said that had I never stepped foot behind the wrestling, uh, uh, so to speak, I, you know, I would have said that, but now it's like, no, I can see that because, you know, I've, I've, I've seen promoters do that and stuff like that nowadays. So um, it's not far-fetched to me. And plus, you got to think about it, too. If you're a talent in wrestling, like let's just say Cactus Jack, for instance, you know, since he was in UWF, he was not Mick Foley, you know, level like he is today back then. So he, you know, I mean, he even says it on the thing. He's just looking for an opportunity. Yeah. So, you know, I I also think, you know, you have to take that into consideration when it comes to a wrestler's mindset is a lot of them are just looking for an opportunity. And if they see an opportunity, they're going to take it. But it's not far-fetched to me now. But, you know, had I heard this story beforehand, I would have been like, that's stupid. Why would anyone, you know, uh, do that? But... Now I now I do see it. So uh, it's it's an interesting thing. And here's the thing. You said it. He's a great performer. Well, if you're a salesman, you have to be. That's true. That's a great point. And yeah. he is. He's and, and, and if you're a con artist as well, <laughs> because think about it. And, and I go back to that. But I, I make the point of calling him that because look at everyone's reaction when they talk about him, they don't talk about him like, oh, he was this crooked promoter and everything. They yeah. talk about him like he's their best friend. That's what a con artist does. That's what a good salesman does. He sells 
himself to you. And I mean, and wrestling is rife with those examples, right? Mm -hmm. Like everybody should hate Kevin Nash. They should despise Kevin Nash, but they don't. Apparently he's another one of these guys. You meet him and you just, he wins you over and you forgive it. Um, A good example of that, Vince Russo. Yeah, (laughs) We're back to Russo. Yeah. If you talk to anyone, you know, unless you're Cornette, (laughs) but if you talk to anyone else, they'll tell you, even Bischoff said it. He said, you know, he won Bischoff over because he was very charming. He was very, you know, convincing. And then, you know, he got to know him and stuff like that. So then that all changed. But, you know, it's it's not unlike Herb Abrams. Now I just want a clip of like some UWF and then cut to the Russo watching the Brawl for All saying he's totally entertained right now. I, 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 I'm totally entertained by this, bro. <laughs> I'm totally going to, you know, I was listening to uh, Conan talking about the Brawl for All and Conan was like, man, I still think it was a genius idea. So it's like, we're in the modern era where I think no matter what you're talking about, you can find prominent people who will vocally support and hate anything Mm -hmm. and i don't know what that means i mean there's probably people out there that would try to argue that if not for a couple of bad breaks the uwf really could have made it i mean i'm sure those people are out there um it's unbelievable to me that like when i was hearing conan go on and on no 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 bro I, i think i think brawl for all was a really good idea i think you could do it today he was making this argument that you could do it in nxt right now and i'm thinking to myself like what the fuck like even the biggest disaster in wrestling history but i think that's where we are right and we see this in georgia wrestling we see this where even stuff that i always think like okay i'm gonna take this position and you know i tend to take very odd positions on things because i find that interesting but uh, okay this one's a slam dunk God help me if two people don't come at me and go like, how could you say? I'm like, wow, I don't know. Like, really? Like, you know, you know, guys are going to have sex with 15 and 16 year old girls. It's just the way it, I'm like, oh boy. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's one of those where you absolutely think it'd be a slam dunk. Yeah. You know, you you guys mentioned like we were talking about the, you know, him being a con man or him being a good performer because he's a salesman. He just always struck me the ratio of how many indie wrestling promoters, like their shoot job is that they sell used cars. I've just always thought there was a really interesting parallel between those two things. Um, You know, it kind of says something about your, you know. Because sales or like Caleb said, a con i'm fascinated with with con artists and carny stuff um there's a there's a thing called putting somebody under the ether in the con game and what it means is you get people to think emotionally and reactionary instead of critically so you get around their sort of like intellectual defenses that's what conning is right like intellectually i know that you know such and such stockbroker saying he's going to double my money in two weeks makes no sense. But instead he gets me to think like, imagine you'll be able to send your grandkids through school. You'll be able to be comfortable the rest of your life. Look at the car that I'm driving. You could have this car in no time flat. 
that, that's why people people are like people are so dumb they're not dumb they you just got them to think emotionally it happens all the time and you see examples of it through this whole covid thing like every every other ad on facebook is some kind of hustle and some kind of con right like mm-hmm. oh oh we we see that you like to write by some algorithm oh you know you can do all these writing jobs from home and it's so easy it's like oh yeah that sounds awesome i mean obviously it's a con but it's it's i say obviously it's a con but pro wrestling is the master of it right like get all these people to give you money and you basically don't have to do anything and just throw your poster up online and 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 they'll just come and Look, this guy just got released by the WWE. How many millions of people watch WWE? I'll just bring him in and all the people are going to flock and show up. And we all know talking here that it's not that easy. It's not it's nowhere close to that easy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you look at the heyday of wrestling being the Monday Night War as far as how popular it was nationally in the US. Mm-hmm. And it's mostly because of the angles that they were running and the long-term storylines they were building. I mean, you look at, there's definitely draws in there. Hogan, Austin, you know, people like that, but yeah, I mean, the end but the NWO was an angle, you know, it's like at one point they, you know, uh, in the Monday night war documentaries, they talked about, you know, eventually three limos piled up and 60 guys got out and they were the NWO. We can't name a you know two thirds of those guys, yeah, uh, more than likely. But that was the angle that they were running, and that's what made it so big. And you know that's one of those things that, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of these folks, especially if you're not a wrestling person, you don't you don't understand it. That you have to do something compelling with those people. You have to have the talent. It's about vision, draw. man. Yeah, it's about and, vision, and it's getting everybody to look the same way and pull the same direction in order to get a thing over. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, some of the other problems UWF had were guys didn't want to go under, right? Cause we're in 1990. And so there's still this notion, if I lose, I'm done. And so nobody wanted to lose. Nobody wanted to, you know, if, if everybody's special, then nobody is. And UWF definitely ran into those kind of problems as well. You know, I so. like the, the aspect of Abrams that he absolutely love to destroy furniture <laughs> especially like cushions in particular like i guess this guy just oh yeah cushions. that's right uh and he was like paranoid that people were like you know listening in or watching him like like marty esper he looked through the people they're coming they're coming well and- it couldn't have helped that he had Marty Yesberg around, and Marty Yesberg's sitting there thinking that the SWAT team's going to break down the door because they've got some hookers in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, and what causes that paranoia? Obviously, it's drug-fueled. Obviously, Herb Abrams probably has something chemically going wrong upstairs a little bit. But we also don't, you know, how did he make his money? I'm sure it wasn't clean and neat. I'm sure it was something that was tied in with God knows who. So, you know... Uh, I, I mean, again, AEW in so many ways has it good in the sense that the money's legitimate. They can afford to lose a lot of it, and they are, right? But they're doing it with an aim in mind. There's like an end goal. Um, but at the same time, the danger is if for some reason they decide to pull up stakes and end it, it's done. 
right? There's right. no obligation beyond I'm interested in doing this thing and being a part of this thing. Um, like that's the part that's sort of, I'm curious what, the, that's why I'm fascinated with AEW because there's so many ways it can go. And if it's true that basically Tony Khan is booking a lot of the shows on a napkin, that's fascinating to me as well. That um, eventually they're going to have to develop a lot of these structures that they, that they don't want to have, but they're going to have to have them. If they're doing more than two hours of television a week, you can't keep you can't keep Vince Russoing it. At some point, you have to have a true vision of where this thing is going to go. Once your ambition becomes two million people watching instead of just beating a show that's getting half a million, what does that mean? What structures are you going to have to put in place? Can you keep signing every indie guy that catches your fancy, even if they're not going to draw a dime? The answer is no. Eventually, they're going to have to evolve and change too. But at least, unlike Herb Abrams, you don't get the feeling that everybody up top who's got the money is going to self-destruct tomorrow. <laughs> so yeah. that part's good. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, because and, and you know, this is veering off topic. We do that a lot on the show, though. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if, if Fox does buy out WWE or say Disney buys out on buys them out, yeah. this era of we're going to keep people under contract to keep them from going somewhere else is over because that's a Vince McMahon thing. That's not something that a, a company like Disney or Fox is going to do. Uh, so, you know, that's going to be interesting. You know, can they keep from salivating over WWE releasing 50 people if that happens? You know, can they can they keep from trying to snatch up everybody and end up in that WCW situation where you have to have a, a 40-man cruiserweight battle royal because you have too many people on your damn roster? Yeah. You know, you just can't even book them all. So... It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I, I really hope there won't be a AEW Dark Side of the Ring episode in, you know, five, ten years or something. I, I don't think that there is. I, I just Well, you I do don't. have the hat on. so This is true. <laughs> I don't think there will be either. I don't think there will be either if I had to bet on it. but I would say I don't know if there's going to be. That's what's so fascinating. Um, right. Because, I mean, they're, like when you look at the pros and cons, like – the pros are humongous, but the cons are also are also things that people don't talk about. Like, I mean, Cody Rhodes is the best worker in the business because he's found a way to have a brand attached to AEW that's not theirs, that's his. Like Nightmare Factory is his. Nightmare everything is his. Like if it all ended tomorrow, he would still be able to have that part of his business. And I find that, and, and, you know, and Jericho gets paid directly by the family. Like all these things to me speak to the wrestlers abusing them, but I don't think it's that cut and dry, but it's undeniable that they're making unbelievable and up to now unjustified amounts of money. Um, Jericho is the best, but is he worth that many millions to them right now? Has he produced that? Not really potentially it could happen but i mean there's a lot of money going to wrestlers and a lot of money going out and not a lot coming in that's usually a recipe for disaster but aew also has a chance to do things that nobody's done in a long time so i'm certainly rooting for them but i don't know i don't know well rooting for them too because what it means for the wrestling business right it's it's possible this could be the last time we see this happen 
Yeah. Because if a billionaire can't sink money into a business that's run by someone who, with the notoriety of the of Cody Rhodes and the sure. Rhodes family in general, you've got all this behind it. You've got kind of some of the best like indie minds involved in this, the best indie talents involved in this. I mean, I don't know if there is a, a better like perfect storm, so to speak, for them to for somebody to be able to compete with the behemoth that is the WWE. This could be the last time there's a major attempt at it. Yeah, and and I mean they got them when they're wounded, which is also when WCW whipped their ass because they got them when they were wounded. They got them in the early '90s when they're when Jim Cornette's part of the group that's booking some of the worst shit in history. And yeah. right now, the WWE, as much as people want to argue against it, they're booking some of the most, not just the worst stuff, the most boring stuff going. Yeah. And so AEW has a really great opportunity. I mean, it's no secret that I like constantly funnel the ideas to them. Like, you know, my latest thing was without knowing it, they stumbled upon something really great, which is Jake Roberts is going to cut a promo. Him and Arn Anderson are going to cut these promos against each other. And I think to myself, like, why are they not promoting that? Because that's something that could get an old wrestling fan to watch again. Nothing right. else they're doing will. So why not go like, we got Jake the Snake Roberts and Arn Anderson, who are two totally different regions, right? WWF or, you know, NWA slash WCW. And they're going to cut this promo. That's fucking amazing, right? Like promote that. Start looking beyond six to 700,000. You've got them. They're going to stay with you, clearly. If they're staying through all of this, they're going to stay. Let's see what we can do about getting other people to watch. That's what's exciting about AEW. That's the one place that Impact doesn't have a prayer. I don't care what they do. I don't care how good their show is and how good so-and-so and such-and-such is. At the end of the day, um, most people are not going to watch it because it's not even on most people's radar. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they've... I mean, you know, we talk about trying to loop this back in. We talked about UWF never had that core base. And AEW has that. And they're never going anywhere. I mean, the I know people that eat, sleep, live, and breathe AEW and won't watch anything WWE related. Even NXT is evil Vince McMahon territory. It doesn't matter, you know, how much truth there is to any of that. It it's it's what people believe in and, you know, they want you know they they want that new brand. They they're fed up with WWE programming. I I'm in that you know on that bandwagon myself to an extent. Um, you know of just I've tuned out of WWE for a long time because it's not interesting or you know I, I it's all filler to me now. But I've been know. on that bandwagon ever since I saw AEW Dynamite in Atlanta and ROH in Atlanta. Yeah. AEW is Atlanta show was the best one they've ever done. And that was like the, that kind of was the catalyst for me thinking that they really could do something with this and they could get to a million viewers or 2 million viewers or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go back to Herb Abrams. Uh, <laughs> oh, Herb. <laughs> the yeah. death. Let's talk about the death. Uh, so I mean, we talked about it a little earlier. This guy died. He goes out. He's running around this hotel uh, covered in nothing but cocaine and baby oil. Yeah. Smashes into a door after breaking all the furniture with a baseball bat because he's running from the police. 
You love that furniture breaking. I do, man. That's just. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, it's pro wrestling, dude. Like people scream, "We want tables!" Like there's just something about destroying furniture Herb that appeals. Innovating again, innovating yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, it just appeals to wrestling people. Destroy that furniture, uh, you know. And uh, so yeah, and so he slams into the door and ends up basically having a heart attack and he, you know, in police custody. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, so I, what do you guys think about the way he goes out here? Well, it's interesting because I don't even know if we can call it a tragedy at this point. Cause no one actually knows what happened. You get like 15 mm. different, um, stories and from, and literally from every speaker, they're like, I heard he, you know, this happened. I heard, like Marty Esberg said that, you know, he took his clothes off in the jail cell, had a seizure uh, in the jail, and that's how he died or something like that. Um, someone said it was because he ran into the door, you know. Some people actually, no, it was uh, Marty Esberg, actually, who was just like, I question. Like, he doesn't think the man is dead. Yeah, there's just like almost like Tupac-esque kind of yeah. <laughs> like concept yeah. between some of these guys that he's not actually dead that that was really appealing to me that 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 exists i mean i just thought that that was kind of legendary and the fact that marty said that a promoter told him that he saw herb abrams <laughs> that he that herb abrams came and said hey man you're using the uwf name i need a check for that <laughs> It's, I mean, that's part of being a legend, right? Like Herb Abrams didn't become a legend through positive things or merit, but I mean, it was definitely a bigger than life thing, which wrestling is always going to be attracted to. I think it's one of the things that suffers from now. I think there aren't larger than life personalities because we associate those kind of things with negativity, right? The boys aren't the like the pill popping cokeheads that they were in the past. And that's good. Uh, like, I'm glad that most of them are, are much more prone to go back to their hotel room and play video games. That's good from their health perspective, but from a performance rock star perspective, it fucking lame as fuck. It's lame as shit. I, I, I honestly think it's one of the things um, when people contact me, I think one of the things they miss is because there were stories about me, right? I'm the guy who's going to grab the TV and throw it at you because you fucked up a fucking spot. Like, and of course, there's something about that that's really negative. But there's also something about that that's very fucking pro wrestling. And there's not a one like that nowadays. And I think that there's something kind of missing about that. Like, who's the fucking passionate trainer right now? Who's the guy that's going to knock your dick in the dirt if you're not doing something correctly to make sure that you're going to do it correctly? ar fox um <laughs> qt marshall like i mean i'm not saying that they can't be good trainers i'm just saying like the dynamic nature of this performance shit called pro wrestling um is sorely lacking um i and i think it, when you look at who the top guys are and who's running shit there's something that's fascinating about guys that really live out on the edge that there's some kind of romantic notion that we have about artists and performers, that there's a part of you that's got to live out on the edge. It's why we love biopics, right? It's why we do a biopic 
of Freddie Mercury and Elton John, but we don't do one of Donnie fucking Osmond or Neil Diamond. I don't care how many records Neil Diamond sells. I don't want to see that fucking story, right? right? I want to see the guy that was like right on the edge and holy shit and AIDS during the AIDS epidemic. And that's, they're, they're mired in the culture as they influence the culture. And Herb Abrams, for good or bad, definitely was one of those guys that people could tell, the boys can tell stories about. And it's amazing. I mean, Todd Gordon did Coke, right? Todd Gordon did a bunch of stuff. But at the end, he was boringly sensible at the same time, right? When, when ECW was still breaking even or turning a profit, Todd Gordon was in charge. But it's but it's Heyman who will always be remembered. Because right. Heyman's the guy who's going to give you the locker room speech that's going to have you run through a brick wall. Heyman's the guy that's going to do the craziest shit. Heyman's the guy that's going to green light, yeah, do a crucifixion angle, and then I'll just deny everything. <laughs> Heyman's the guy who's going to tell New Jack, go fucking cut that kid up, and then I'm going to lie for you in court to get you off. But at the end of the day, people still love New Jack and still love Heyman, even though they're pieces of shit, because they live bigger than life. And in wrestling, we're in desperate, desperate need of bigger than life characters so and it even appeals outside of wrestling right like everybody is into that sort of thing you know there's not going to be a dark side of the ring kofi kingston episode it's going to be like well after mm -hmm. after he got done with yeah. his match, he went back to the room and played video games and recorded a podcast with his buddies roll credits and that's the whole episode it's not gonna happen. I mean, it's just not gonna happen you know and nothing against kofi kingston he's an amazing performer but it's just their it's that their character in the ring now is more much more entertaining than they are out of the ring and that wasn't the case in the 80s 90s and early 2000s and when you you look at the people who are bigger than life right it's the rock it's john cena to a point it's interesting to me who they have earmarked to get out of the wrestling business like the two of them went to becky lynch and said Rock is like, I'll, I'll introduce you to my agent. You need to get out of this shit. Because they recognize there's something about her that's potentially bigger than life. And now if you're a bigger than life personality, you go make your money outside of wrestling, not within it. And I find that really fascinating. Like there was a time where it's like, oh, The Rock, we got to, you know, keep doing this wrestling thing. You're bigger than life. But it's like, no, I've outgrown wrestling because wrestling isn't about that anymore. And I don't know, like AEW to me, they have to make one crossover star and have one truly engaging angle and they'll be on their way. But if they don't make a crossover star, they're just going to be a really well-funded, good indie promotion um, instead of a true competitor. Because you're a true competitor once someone from your organization shows up to host Saturday Night Fucking Live. And they don't have that person yet, but they can make that person. And when that person shows up on Saturday Night Live, I mean, can you imagine hosted by Cody Rhodes? Of course you can't, right? But theoretically, assuming he wasn't kind of dumb because he kind of is, but like Darby Allen, if eventually they made Darby Allen this darling that was really engaging, and they're like, oh, Darby Allen on the next, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, who's that larger than life figure right now? Um, I'm not so sure they're out there, but wrestling's a lot better when we have them. So.
I mean, if I if I had to bet on somebody to be that person, it's probably Adam Page. Um, but I don't know if they'll, you know, a lot of right decisions got to be made between now and then uh, from several different people to make that happen. And I could possibly see Cody doing it, but not like today. No, he would have no. to be. And I know. mean, Adam Page, where's he been? Right. Like that's that's tough, too, is like, um, I mean, I it's tough because it's like because it, when I throw that question out, the names I get kicked back are Adam Page and MJF. And I go, sure, possible. Anybody's possible. But who's the one that really reaches through and engages? Who's the one that my kids are going to look at having only a cursory knowledge or care about pro wrestling and go, oh, okay. Orange Cassidy. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) people sleep in, and I have to touch on this. People sleep on Orange Cassidy, but he's selling more merch. My kids care about Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen. And yeah. and uh, and any Japanese woman wrestler. That's it. That's yeah. that's who they look at when they look at AEW because I force them to watch it, and that's the ones they go like, oh okay, oh Darby Allen, he was in that because my kids saw the clip of Sammy Guevara and screwing around in the convenience store, so she saw that independent of me, and she's like, oh that's the guy that does the coffin drop. I'm like, holy crap! And she goes, how come AEW doesn't do more of that stuff? That stuff I find cool, and I go, I don't know. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Those like, those uh, shoes that they came out with for Orange Cassidy that would have the freshly squeezed on it, I guarantee you see somebody walking around in those. They they look yeah. good, and and like he's got that appeal where, uh, you know, when he came out with the T-shirt, it was like their best-selling piece of merchandise. My kids do the half thumbs up with the awkward smile to me, and it cracks <laughs> me up to no end. They think that's hysterical, like. What's cool is such a hard thing to grasp, but boy, when you've got it, you gotta, you gotta freaking churn that machine out. I mean, if they didn't churn out the machine after Austin three sixteen, where would they have been? Right. You gotta recognize when the zeitgeist hits, um, and you have to be willing to pay through the nose for it too. I think that's that's one of the things that slows the WWE down. Is at the end of the day, they don't want to feel beholden to any of the talent. But pro wrestling is a talent-driven business. It just is. Yeah. And, um, you know, ECW pretends like, oh, no, we're going to make it about the brand. That way, when we lose people, we'll still be okay. But once they lost their top people, they weren't okay. Yeah, I mean, we- there's no way around the formula. It's entertainment business. I watch stars. I don't watch a brand. So, like, at the end, I have to be interested in the people that you're trying to emotionally engage me with. You're, you're trying to put me under the ether. You're not going to put me under the ether constantly having unknowns. I don't care how good Austin theory is at fake fighting. If I don't, (laughs) if I don't connect to him and you don't force me to connect to him and I don't find him engaging, you're still going to, you're going to get ratings in the 1.6 million instead of three, 4 million. I was like, think about that. When CM Punk was on top and they were bordering between three and 4 million it was like panic button pushing time. Oh my God, we're below, you know, we're in 3.6 million. What a f- colossal failure. We're in 1718. Oh my God. That's crazy, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they would have been firing people left and right if today's numbers had been even five, 10 years ago. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's wild to think about. 
Uh, Thunder got 2.5 million, and that was like, all right, it's it's getting time to cancel the show. Thunder. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. I never thought about in that in that perspective. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Mm -hmm. There's Monday Night Wars ratings, man. I don't know that we'll ever get there again. Hard to imagine we will, but you know, unless they can start shit with the UFC. (laughs) Right. Well, we gotta we gotta wrap this one up. Uh, oh yeah, we've, uh, we've been on it here for a minute. Uh, so I, I want to get everybody's <laughs> final thoughts on this. Uh, so Caleb, what's kind of your overall thoughts on uh, this episode with Herb Abrams? Well, again, like I said, to me, it was one of the best episodes um, that they've done of Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, again, it's a fascinating story. Um, again, the, the the thing that I take away from it is is at the very end of the episode when you know they're talking about this guy who basically is a piece of shit. But you know, it, it but <laughs> there's no other way to sugarcoat it. He was, but yet you had like I, I go back to Stevie Ray Wild thing uh, in this. You know, he he's like you know he saw something in me you know that I didn't see in myself, and he gets very emotional talking about him. I mean, well. That's a salesperson for you. Uh, he sold himself to a lot of talent, and uh, he got them to buy in and stuff like that. Um, it's a it's 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 a fascinating story. Um, the one thing to me, the, one of the things that a promoter says that can be the downfall of anything is, yeah, I wanna I wanna put the WWE out of business. I'm like, well, you're not going to. That's 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 never going to happen. The only way WWE is going to go out of business is if Vince McMahon goes, yeah, we're done. That's it. That's it. Like, you know, so anytime you try that, you're going to fail. If that is your main goal, you're going to fail. Um, and that seemed to be what his goal was. Uh, but again, also what I took away from the episode as well was that even though it was failing, he didn't seem to bother him. It seemed, like, it seemed like, hey, the party goes on. You know, like, like they even said it. They're like, yeah, you drew 200 people to the MGM Grand Arena and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, but it's the MGM Grand. <laughs> and they're like, yes, and you didn't sell it. So it was a failure. But um, just a very interesting story. Um and not, and after seeing this, uh, you know, and after listening to you guys, I'm like, oh, okay, so this is, this is where they talk about all of those promoters that that do this kind of thing in wrestling. So, but yeah. well, Steve, what about you, man? What's your uh, what's your kind of wrap up conclusion on this? Um, that it comes down in wrestling, um, ambition in pro wrestling, and logic make terrible dance partners. Um, (laughs) that for every person that says, yeah, but we're going to approach this wrestling thing to make money. And it's a, this logical enterprise. Um, I always said me and Bill Barron's were like opposite sides of the spectrum that he thought wrestling was science. And I thought it was art and the truth is somewhere in between, but anytime you have to do this balancing act of to, to get involved in pro wrestling and think that you're going to be able to eke out a decent living is completely irrational. Um, and it requires this sort of mentality of tunnel vision and thought. And you're going to get the craziest people involved in this thing. 
And I, I just love that they had the example of one of the craziest, and that's Herb Abrams. But it does sort of allude to the fact that this business in pro wrestling is going to attract fucking wackadoos, which gives me hope because that means it's still outlaw enough. It, there's still room to wiggle and move that I think it's that's what causes all of this ambition and all of these dreams. But a lot of times those dreams are just going to come crashing down. And that interplay between those things is what makes wrestling still fascinating to me to this day. Um, even though there's no way I should continue to be involved in it, but I just can't resist. So, and the Herb Abrams are as big a part of the wrestling DNA as the Ric Flairs and the Vince McMahons. They're all part of this fabric, even though we want to live in denial of it. There's a lot more Herb Abrams than there are Vince McMahons. And there's a big part of Herb Abram in Vince McMahon too, whether we want to admit it or not. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that was gonna be my thing. It's like it, it's it's you know Herb Abrams definitely. There's definitely aspects of Vince in in Herb Abrams and vice versa. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, Steve, thanks for being on the show, man. Oh, uh, thank you guys. It's been a great episode. Uh, tell everybody where they can uh, hear more of you. Oh, you know the the best place is either Georgia Wrestling History or I got a podcast we do every other Tuesday called Tipping Point. And then uh, my YouTube channel. So Stephen Platinum, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Platinum. Um, just do a search on that. And God knows I put the content out there and I'm going to do it even more now. So God help us all. But yeah, check me out there and um, enjoy this episode of this. I think it's great that you're covering Dark Side of the Ring. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you were kind of one of the first people to, to check out this show and, and kind of put us over. Uh, so, and I know that we definitely gained some listeners from that. So, you know, definitely thanks for that. And thanks for being on, uh, for sure. Uh, and, and really? always, uh, Caleb, uh, tell everybody where they can check out uh, Stovall wrestling network. Uh, you can find it wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google play, iHeartRadio, um, the works you can find them. And, um, also add us on Facebook, SWN Stovall wrestling network. Um, you can find us on Facebook and, uh, we'll get interactive and stuff like that. And, uh, just check us out. Cause we discuss everything pro wrestling, not just, you know, dark side of the ring or whatnot, but we discuss the news going on currently. And then we talk about past and possibly what the future could hold. So right All on. Right. Well, thanks everyone. This has been an involved review. Right on.